team. You know, sometimes the content of the song hits a home run in terms of message. We don't always do that, but this was one of those mornings. Uh, this message is really about us forgetting that he's king of the world and king of our lives. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, served, probably my first um, uh, ministry job was uh, a campus staff person for InterVarsity on different uh, college campuses across Illinois. And uh, there weren't many of us, and there were a lot of uh, InterVarsity chapters of college students gathered together, and we would travel to these different uh, colleges, encourage um, the students and their faith and their walk with Christ. Iowa, the state of Iowa, had a number of different uh, groups of Christian students that gathered at different uh, universities, but they had almost no staff workers, no college pastors. And so my supervisor, his name was Jeff at the time, he had this crazy idea that we would load up in a car and we would do a tour of the Iowa college campuses and encourage any of the Christian students that we could. And so um, it, was, uh, it was not planned in the best way. He connected with a few uh, Christian students, different college campuses, and then we loaded a couple of guitars, uh, some Bibles, some Christian books, and there was four of us. We jumped in a car, didn't know if it was going to make it or not, but we jumped in and we started across Iowa, started hitting these different um, campuses. And we had a lot of fun stories from that. We actually delayed our, our whole um, trip was delayed by three days. We were stuck in Iowa because of a blizzard. And uh, I wore a, a woman's pink coat for about three days because we didn't have coats or anything like that. One of my favorite stories was at a particular campus. There was no InterVarsity group together, but there was just this one young gal. She was freshman or sophomore, and she was passionate for Jesus. She was passionate about reaching her campus for Christ. And so she single-handedly, somehow she had, in, in Jeff's network, he had connected with her and he said, we're coming, do with what us with what you will. So she organized this forum that the four of us, mind you, I was only 22, 23, just out of college and my uh, friends were not uh, much older. And she said, we're going to have this forum and you can come and ask them about anything you want, Christianity or spirituality. And actually, we had more non-Christians, about 40 to 50 students came together, and the four of us sat up on the stage, and they tried to stump the college pastors. It was, it was really engaging and fun, and we were challenging, and you know, we weren't uh, that trained or anything like that, but we were giving the best answers we could. And there's one moment where they were asking about, there's a number of of former Catholic students there, and they were asking about the idea of works righteousness, of, of earning, and this idea of grace, and the confusion that was there, and personal relationship with Christ, and all these kind of things, and we were, we were trying to give answers, and it felt muddied, and at one point, I, I just opened my Bible, and I had been having a, a quiet time on this particular passage, and it reads, and I think we have it, uh, for you up there. It's Matthew 7, 22. It says this. I read it in front of the, the 40 to 50 students. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name 
and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I said, man, I, I was wrestling with this very passage, and, and I felt convicted that I, I wasn't even meeting the low bar at this point. I wasn't prophesying. I wasn't driving out demons. I wasn't doing those miracles. I wasn't meeting the low bar. And so how would I have hope of getting into the kingdom of God? Based, why would Jesus say this passage? I mean, many of them were doing stuff, right? I said, but I do know one thing is, is he knows me and I, and I know him. And that's basically all I got right now. And that seemed to turn and the students began to connect with that and talk about that relationship there. Jesus was emphasizing knowing over doing. Now doing is going to be an important part of a lot of what Jesus says. It's connected to our faith. But at the foundation is this idea that Jesus has come that we might know him and know the Father. Another thing that struck me from that passage of Scripture is the use of a word that he hits on a regular basis. And it's a word we're not very familiar with. It's a word that we wrestle with, and it relates to kind of the quality of relationship that he has come for us to have. That he hasn't come that we'd have just any old relationship, any casual relationship with him, but he uses this word. You see that word? Lord, Lord. And he says, many of you have, have come and you call me Lord, Lord, but that's not actually what I am to you, is that I'm something different, not that. You know, speaking of InterVarsity, when we would, one of the things we would do is offer a retreat and invite uh, college students to that retreat. And there was two things that we would emphasize the, the we saw as the most important things that college uh, uh, students would have in their lives. One was a personal quiet time, how to read scripture and how to pray. And we teach them that. And you know what the second one was? It was lordship. This idea that Jesus invites his lordship, that kind of relationship in our life. The first concept the students would get and they begin to practice and walk and learn to have a quiet time. The second concept, boy, there would be retreats we'd leave and students would say, I still don't get it. I don't, I don't understand what that means, that, that concept of lordship. How do we do that? How does he, how is he my Lord? What does that mean? How do I flesh that out? That's the question that we're going to look at this morning. The question that Jesus asks is from Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 43. Would you turn with me there? This is uh, Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're told that Jesus steps to a level place, so it's been called the Sermon on the Plain. 
And he does the Beatitudes, the blessings. Luke includes the woes, but love of enemies and judging others. And then he really ends with this. Verse 43, he says, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. In the kingdom of God, there should be no hypocrisy. There should be no saying one thing, but doing another. And at the end, it's not just our actions that reveal who we are, but really our actions, our fruit, reveal what's going on here. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You notice that Jesus is saying that really our outward actions, the fruit of our lives, is dependent on what's going on in our inner lives. That perhaps we can fake it for a while. Perhaps we can do some good stuff. Perhaps we can live in hypocrisy, even sometimes for years. But ultimately, our lives, the fruit of our lives, reflects what's going on here. Our heart, our soul, our soul before God. It should be that outflow. Verse 46. Here's the question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep, put some work into it, some elbow grease, bent his back, and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came and the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the current struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Notice this is, of course, a metaphor for our lives. And he's asking the question, what are you building your life around? What's your foundation? What's the rock? The torrents are going to come. The flood is going to come. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or white or black, educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter. You're, we are all going to face the challenges of the world. That's not the question of if. The question is, when you face that, what's that rock? What's the foundation? And Jesus is saying, if you take my word, if you dig down deep, if you press in, then your house will remain. And did you notice, again, he uses that, that same word. Did you see that word? Why do you call me what? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
He's saying, but you don't do that again. Yet another aspect of lordship. The first one was about a relationship and knowing Christ. And now the second one was about his word and related to obedience. And I think that leads us to the question. He keeps repeating this. It leads us to two really huge, huge questions. First is this, who is Jesus to you? Would the idea of lordship connect with what your relationship is? No, 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 like really. Not what we say, but if someone were to look at your life, look at how you spend your time, look at what you think about, look at what you wrestle with, and if you let someone else give a word or two or phrase that was a descriptive of your relationship with Jesus, of who Jesus is to you. Would that idea of lordship be a part of that description? I think the other question is this. How do we understand lordship? What does that mean? I, I think of, you know, English lords, men in tights and wigs, and that's not helpful, right, at all. It's this, it's this foreign concept. And even there's another time I want to bring up, make sure that when Jesus is talking about leadership with his disciples, he says, hey, don't lord it over as the Gentiles do. So not only is lordship a foreign concept, but there's also some negative connotations that we can bring in. Because when we think of lordship or dominion or leadership or rulership, there can be some really unhealthy things that fill our minds. So perhaps a better question is, how do we understand the lordship of Christ Jesus from a biblical perspective, if he is inviting us to come to him as Lord, how do we understand and lay that foundation of lordship? Would you uh, keep your, your finger in the gospel of Luke, but would you turn over just a little bit with me to the, the book of Colossians? Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and if you hit Philippians, you've gone too far. And this is um, perhaps the the foundation. If you've brought your own Bibles, you're going to want to highlight and circle. This is the foundation of lordship. Guys, almost there? Oh, I said it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> Go eat potato chips. I put the chip before the potato. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians, all right? Chapter 1. Look at verse 15. And think of this in terms of who is Jesus. And what are the rights he has in our lives? Paul says, the Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. He's saying the invisible, the the God who is unseen, the God who is spirit, he is made visible in Christ. And he is like a firstborn son that has 
supremacy. He is the one that has inherited all things. He's the one that the Father has endowed all the rule, all the, the, the reigning, all the dominion. He's endowed him with him. In other words, in Jesus, the nature and the character of God, the Father, is perfectly revealed. Paul will use the word essence in just a little bit. He's saying the essential attributes of the one true living God find their fullness, dwell, live in Christ Jesus. Or in the next chapter, Paul will say in Colossians 2, in him all the fullness of the divine, all the fullness dwells in bodily form. Verse 16. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether physical or part of the physical creation or the spiritual creation. And then he kind of walks down in the spiritual realms of all that Jesus has created, whether thrones in the spiritual realms or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through Christ and for Christ. In other words, in Jesus, all things were brought to life. All life, all that we see, all that we feel, all life finds its source, not just in God the Father, but in Christ Jesus alone. These verses echo the opening verses of John chapter 1. Scripture likes when it comes to Jesus, those two words of all things. All things came into being by Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has, can, has come into being. In him, Christ Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Of course, John is pushing us back to Genesis where it all began. And God the Father was there. And remember how he created? How did he create all things? He spoke. Jesus is the word. It's through Christ, you and I, and everyone and everything that we see that is living, it was through him and for him all things were brought to life. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In other words, in Jesus He's not only the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of life. 
Without him, we do not continue. Without him, we do not go on. All things are held together and find their meaning in him. As one commentator says, he is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of our lives and the life of the universe. He is like the mother over all of creation. He brought, he gives life and birth to all life. And yet he sustains that life to see it grow and mature and directs that life. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Firstborn in terms of resurrection and new life and kingdom life. So that in everything, all things, he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself what? All things. So though the creation in its free will has lost its way, Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, is also the redeemer and the restorer. And that he came, even though we are wandering away, he came and we just celebrated at the table. He died. And so that we might be brought close. Those who are far away might be reconciled and redeemed to the Father to recover the life that was lost, to recover the meaning and the purpose that was lost. All things. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Jesus, all things are reconciled and restored. In other words, Jesus is the answer to our fallenness. He is the remedy to our human condition, to our alienation from God, from our isolation from God. He is the cure, the remedy, the healing. He invites us in restoring and healing, and he brings us back to the Father of all. Friends, is there anyone else who deserves to be the Lord of your life? Do you deserve to be the Lord of your life? Really? I I don't think so. I think that Jesus alone is there. I, I think that from a, a cultural perspective, I was just at the, I was just, uh, this is my second year of doing graduations and hearing commencement speakers and all of those things. And, and the ones at, at, at my son's uh, high school graduation, they did a great job. It was a good job. It wasn't long and boring and kept us engaged, and that was good. 
But there is a consistent theme in all commencement speeches. And do you know what that is? Believe in yourself. You know it, right? That, that's the statement of the culture. And, and it, I mean, it, it's, I, mean I, I just have to kind of prepare my soul for now. When I, from last year, I learned, okay, this is our, our statement. And it's not that I want you to have bad self-esteem, but if given a choice, I'm going to believe in the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of all of life. Right? I, I'm going to trust in the Jesus within me. Right? Recognizing that I have brokenness and pain and, and, and selfishness and all those things. That's there. And I am not going to trust in those things. Right? I am not going to believe in those things. I'm going to believe in the one that knit me together in my mother's womb, that has a plan and purpose for my life, and it's good, and it's holy, and it's righteous, and the one who doesn't count that sin and brokenness against me, that's the one I'm going to believe in. That's the one I'm going to trust. Even with the direction of my life, the daily place. I, I'm not going to trust to my own desires because guess what? At the end of the day, or maybe at the beginning of the day, I'm selfish, right? The, this idea that I'd really like to direct my life the way I'd like it. And that's not the invitation of Christ. By the way, I, I did come across a commencement speech by Denzel Washington. 2015, it was at Dillard University, and he said this. Students, put God first in everything you do. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. I didn't always stick with him, but he stuck with me. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. While you're on your knees, say thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for your parents. Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace. Thank you for prosperity. Say thank you in advance for what is already yours. True desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand that it's already yours. When you get it, reach back, pull someone else up. Say thank Thank you. Begin with God. Boy, that would have been a commencement speech I would have loved to hear, right? Say thank you. In fact, can we pause just a moment and just give thanks for that passage in Colossians. Jesus, thank you that you emptied yourself of all your glory. And yet you walked among us, among us in the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus, that even though we rejected you and we walk away from you, that you don't give up on us. You're for us. You invite us back. We worship you right now at the right hand of the Father, 
the center of the throne, the center of the universe, as King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, how do we bring this together of lordship? What does that mean? How do we go after that kind of connection with Jesus that he alone deserves? Well, when Jesus is Lord of your life, I would say that it looks this way. That if we can begin with this visual idea that he is the center. He is the center of your thoughts, of your activities, that we allow him, if you imagine this little throne within your soul, ask the question, who gets to sit on that little throne in your heart and soul? I'm a visual learner, so hopefully this will be helpful to some of you. Do we have that image, Steve, of the, of the uh, lordship? I think this is from Campus Crusade, couldn't find it. There is this attitude that God invites us. He's our creator, he's our sustainer, he's our redeemer, and he invites us to put his son in that little throne within our soul. And he invites us to worship him. Now, be mindful when I say that, don't get the image of this totalitarian king who wants to rule and tell you what to do and won't and all that stuff. No, he's gentle and he's humble in heart. And we trust him that he has the best life for us, the good life, and we put him there. The other one, is it fair to say that there is a gravitational pull to the second attitude. Is that fair to say? That there's this gravitational pull that we always put ourselves on the throne of our own lives. Most of us, I'm, I'm guessing, started there this morning. Is that fair to say? Yes? No? Not as much participation in that? All right, 50-50. Maybe this side of the room started on that side and this side. Now, you know, it's this idea. I mean, that is, that's at center of who we are. It is that we, we place him, we place ourselves on the throne. And part of spiritual maturity is recognizing that dynamic. That, that's the beginning, I would argue, of lordship, is recognizing that our fallen human condition, we want to put ourselves as the center of our lives. And Jesus says, no. When did you forget, uh, Beth sang it, when did you forget I was king? When did you forget I was king of the universe? And I have plans and purposes for your life. When, when did that happen? A related story is um, one of my seminary professors was sharing about a friend who is a Jehovah's Witness. And they were uh, arguing about who Jesus is, that he's a, he's a, I can't remember, some kind of angel or, or son of God. Um, and they're going back and forth. And he said his friend would eventually give his life to Christ. And when he did it is when they went to Revelation 5 and chapter 7. And they saw, he saw Jesus 
at the center of the universe, enthroned. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their lives. He saw that the story of the gospel is Jesus came, died on the cross, ascended, and then he didn't kneel down at the foot of the Father. No, what did he do? He took his seat in the center of the throne and all of the host heavenly host, all of creation worships him and the Father. Jesus is at the center. If he's at the center of the universe, does he, believe, does he deserve to be at the center of your life? I'm going to go with a yes. I'm going to go with a yes. Yeah, Mike, you're not keeping up here, buddy. Come in. Come on. We really, if I could put it as simple as possible, go back to that image again, Stephen. It's that choice, that daily choice of who's on the throne of your soul. And how do we make that choice? The second thing, if we go back to the original passage that we began with, is that it's the heart and the soul that does matter. That our fruit, we, we always look at the fruit of our lives, but part of lordship is that we're allowing Christ Jesus to transform us from the inside. He, we allow him to make good and renew and begin with the conviction of the heart, the challenge of the heart, the renewal of the heart, the restoration, the shaping, the molding of the heart. That's what it means is that oftentimes we approach, and that was what the students at the college campus were originally, they, they were saying, if we're doing the right things, how come we're not good? And, and I was saying, no, 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 that's not enough. What he's after is this internal work of the soul that only he can do. I love this passage from 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. So he's talking about a fruit and he's saying that fruit is evidence of, that we have passed from past to life. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has, this is the phrase I love, eternal life residing in him. It's the presence, it's the, the goodness, it's the kindness, it's the eternal life of Jesus that resides in us. And then the fruit of our lives is the overflow of that relationship there. Does that make sense? Do I need to repeat it or can I keep going? Because this is like crucial. All right? Young or old, black or white, rich or poor, doesn't matter who we are. Jesus is giving this invitation that his very life, in fact, if we just go a little bit deeper, the, the life of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, their life 
resides here. And if you want him as Lord, you allow him to do this deep and abiding work in you. He will produce the fruit if you're allowing him to work here. Author Ken Canfield is writing about a, a book on the heart of a father, men of integrity. And he tells this story. He says, during a family vacation, Sarah's daughter got a little ornery and pushed Hannah, another daughter. Did you push your sister, I asked? No, she denied. Since this was becoming a growing pattern for Sarah, I decided to take a walk with her to get the, to the bottom of things. Sarah, I told her, I'm really disappointed with your behavior. What do you need to do about it? And he says, I expected Sarah to tell me she needed to stop lying, start apologizing to her sister, but instead she started to cry. And she said this, I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. <laughs> She's an eight-year-old girl. And he says, there I was, zeroing in on behavior modification. And, or I'm sorry, my six-year-old daughter was dealing with bigger issues, bigger things, deeper issues. She was needing forgiveness, cleansing, internal spiritual change and transformation. I was focused on morality, she on the spirituality that makes morality possible and sincere. Is that, so oftentimes we can view Lordship is if we're doing the right things, we're okay. And he says, no, 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 no. Here, not me, but us internally. This is what Jesus is after. Lordship begins with relationship. Lordship begins internally. And then it is connected to the outflow, the final piece I think an understanding lordship is that it does relate profoundly to the overflow of our life, that the overflow of our life is faithful and is good. We're seeing the fruit of the internal work of what God, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying we see that the work um, the fruit, it reflects the heart. One more Lord, Lord statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, it relates to this idea of will. And are we choosing his will over our own. Who are we letting into that seat before us? Jesus modeled it for us last week, didn't he? We were wrestling with the will, and even him in that mysterious way said, your will, not mine. How often, how often do we say, Jesus, I, I'm gonna get off I'm going to get off the throne of my life now. Because I actually don't belong there. You and no one else, 
Not my spouse, though they'd like to be there sometimes. Not my friends. Not my family. Not my kids. No one else but you alone. Would you, would you sit there? Would you speak to me? Would you transform me? Would you help me know who I am? Why have you knit me together this way? Why have you given me these gifts and abilities? What are you calling me to do? Why have you made me this way, male or female? or struggling with this, or struggling. Well, what's, what's your plan? What's your hope? What's your dream? What are you inviting me into? Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment to uh, that revelation passage? Did you know in a profound way, Jesus, right here, right now, in this very moment, is enthroned in heaven? He's at the center of the universe. He's receiving the worship and the prayers of the heavenly host. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're worshiping Jesus. There was never a time that Jesus was not. There is never a time that he will not be. And at the same time, by his spirit, he wants to reside within the center of your soul. Would you allow him to push you off? For some of us, we've been sitting there for a really long time. Jesus, would you help us Would you help us to allow you to live in your rightful place? In your name we pray. Amen. Can we stand together and respond in worship?
benediction, I just wanted to read our opening passage from Matthew over you. If you'd like to receive prayer, folks would come to love to have you come and uh, they would pray over you, lift you up. Do you know if we get this right daily, everything else falls into place? It's that simple. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I, Jesus, is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you.